at the day of my fight, I wake up and I thank you, God, to be alive. And I acknowledge how perfect will be that day if I die today. Because I have, you know, I accomplished my thing. I'm in my mission. I represent in my family. So I don't go there to tap. I go there to die. Welcome to the One Broken Cog Podcast. Join John and Brian as they share small adjustments that lead to major impacts. One Broken Cog Podcast. Man, we are rapidly approaching our 50th episode. It's amazing. It seems like we just started this thing. And we've received such positive feedback and support. It's unbelievable. It's, it's kind of surprising we haven't had any haters yet. You know, they say you haven't made it until you have haters. And I've been patiently waiting for someone to call me out and take me on, but it hasn't happened yet. Well, hopefully it'll happen soon because I live for it. You know, it brings out the best to me and I thrive on competition. And speaking of competition, one of my heroes, Henzo Gracie, said, my opponent is my teacher, my ego is my enemy. And my motto has always been, you know, stay humble or be humbled. And of course, Henzo Gracie comes from the legendary Gracie family who brought Brazilian jiu-jitsu to the States and made it famous when Henzo's cousin Hoist dominated the UFC, influencing every major fighter since then. And that brings me to my guest today who knows more about competing than most and who I'm referring to is none other than Brent Magnuson. Now, to give you some background on Brent, he's a best-selling author, professional speaker, and a former U.S. Army combat engineer. Now, an adventure seeker and self-proclaimed human test subject for peak social, mental, and physical development, in 2020, Brent released his much-anticipated book, Roger Up, an enthralling and action plan for living life to the fullest and rising out stronger and better from adversity. Now, Brent is also an avid practitioner of Brazilian jiu-jitsu, an accomplished cook, a voracious reader, and a Freemason. Now, Brent sits on the board of the Resilient Warrior Foundation, a 501c3 organization that serves U.S. veterans and first responders who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder acquired during their service to the country. Now, RWF provides scholarships to veterans and first responders with PTSD to study the art of Brazilian jiu-jitsu in the academy of their choice. Brent, it's great to have you on the show. Welcome to the One Broken Cog podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, Brian. It's a real, uh, real pleasure to be on with you. Man, I'll tell you, you know, it's so rare that I get to converse with a fellow Scandinavian, you know, and I, I got to tell you, your name fits you. It actually means power in Swedish. So I guess you were destined to be doing what you're doing, right? Yeah, I appreciate you uh, seeing that in the name. The name's actually Danish from Denmark. Danish, okay. Yeah, but uh, there's a few Magnusons out there, obviously. There's Magnus von Magnuson. He was the strongest man in the world for uh, for a few years, and um, uh, yeah, there's a few Magnusons out there. But the name is actually uh, the Magnuson family is from just outside of Copenhagen. So. so you're an honorary Scandinavian then? Yeah, and I was adopted at birth, so biologically I'm not even Danish. Biologically, I'm actually German and Italian. So I'm a whole I'm a whole mess when it comes to that. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I know I tell you, Brent, I know that you enjoy different cultures and their food. So I have to ask you right out of the gate, if you were on death row and you had one last meal to, to pick from, what would it be? I love that you asked that because I ask this question a lot, especially when I'm meeting new friends or in new <laughs> circles. My wife and I actually discuss this often. So my wife uh, came over here from Vietnam when she was four years old and so I'm obsessed with Vietnamese food, I'm obsessed with Italian food, and I'm obsessed with sushi. But if it was absolutely my last meal, I'm going with, just because it's my favorite food, I'm going with an old school thin crust pizza, mm. a nice glass of uh, homemade red wine, and 
I would probably throw in for dessert some stracciatella, which is uh, chocolate chip gelato. That would probably be the one. And uh, if I had to open up the meal, I would probably do that with some uh, boon rio, which is a Vietnamese soup. It's crab based. It's amazing. So that would probably be it. That is wonderful. Now, one last question. What would be on the pizza? On that pizza, I'm going to go very simple. And it's going to be just thin crust, cheese and sausage. I want extra cheese. And uh, the pizza should be a little well done. And with that sausage, I would like them to go heavy on the fennel. Uh, Man, I, you know what, Brent? You know, I, could be, I think we're related. You know, you're like, this is unbelievable. I used to, for years, I mean, it's like two, three years straight, every month, I would watch UFC with a humongous pizza with only sausage on it with heavy fennel. There's a place out here that specializes in that. You can't find anywhere else. They use the expensive stuff, and it was like heaven on earth. Yeah, absolutely. My uh, my uncle Nick, uh, unfortunately, we we lost him uh, two years ago, but he was an amazing chef. And uh, there's actually a, a recipe at the back of the book. Uh, it's a, it's an amazing meatball recipe, and it's really my play on his recipe. And then kind of paying homage to the old school. And then I, as a new school guy, try to add my own little twist on it. And um, one thing he did with his sausage, and we, we, we made sausage, we made our own wine. And it was a beautiful, beautiful way to be introduced to food, to have this amazing Italian uncle who was, you know, first generation from Naples and just uh, loved food. And it was his way of expressing himself. And uh, he would always go real heavy on the fennel and the sausage so you, you like what you like and you usually like what you grow up liking so that that would be it for me man i'll tell you you know you and i we have to train jujitsu just to stay in shape from all the food we're eating huh yeah so tell me about your jujitsu i know it's your interview my apologies but tell no, me I... uh, briefly about your jujitsu how long you've been training where are you at what are you yeah no i love that you asked because it's rare again that i actually get to talk to somebody who understands this just last week i was in a sales training call and i actually used an analogy from jujitsu and you know i thought man this is going to go over their head but i think it was universal but yeah jujitsu i've been doing it uh, off and on for the past 10 years and i got started in jujitsu my mom passed away when i was right before i was 28 and it's one of those things where it really kind of saved me. And I was going through this horrible time where I was mourning and I just was going through the motions. I really didn't have any much mo motivation or anything. And I always loved the UFC. I mean, obviously, you know, I think everybody has the same story. You watch Hoist Gracie dominate UFCs. I can't believe that happened. How can this little skinny guy do all these things, these monsters, right? It just didn't make any sense. So it's like, well, I want to do that. And it's been, you know, I'm wanting to do it forever. So I just got into jujitsu and I trained under a guy named Todd Nathanson who trained under a guy named John Jock Machado. And it was absolutely amazing. It was a great experience. I'm still doing it now, but it's, it, it really gave me focus, resolve. It made me tough, mentally tough. And in jujitsu, the beauty is, as you know, you're always learning. You're always growing. There's always somebody better than you to challenge you. And it's just, it's been a phenomenal journey. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, my, my story is very similar too. I, I can remember watching the first UFC and, you know, then I enlisted in the army not too long after I enlisted in the army in 1996. And even though we found out about the Gracies and Hoist Gracie in 1993 at the first UFC, jujitsu was, especially here in the States, was still really in its infancy. And in 1996, I enlisted. And in 97 and 98, you started seeing the Gracie combatives being slowly integrated into the combatives program for the U.S. Army. And um, I didn't really get much access, even though I was with a combat unit and we were deploying a lot, I still didn't get really much access at all 
to jujitsu till after I was out of the military. And uh, it was in roughly 07, 08, where I started training. Much like you, a little over 10 years ago in 2009, uh, I lost my mom to cancer. And I spent the rest of that year, seven, eight months, just moping and feeling sorry for myself and lowering my standards and no discipline and just being fat and lazy and unmotivated. And basically all the shit that I, I could possibly hate about myself is what I was doing. And I got uh, just so fed up. And one night I was, I was up at two or three in the morning and I don't know, I probably just polished off a, a half a dozen cannolis. And I was watching, <laughs> I, I was watching TV and Tony Robbins was on there like two or three in the morning with an infomercial. And I bought the whole CD set, whatever it was. And that really started planting seeds in my head. And, and I have to thank him because he really pulled me out of that funk. And I had never really fallen that far before. I'd always been mentally strong. And even though I, I still deal with some issues from the military, sleep issues, and, and uh, you know, back then I had some, some mental health issues that I was dealing with from the military, I'd never fallen that I mean, I, I didn't just fall. I was at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, the deepest, darkest place on the planet. And when you're that low, the only good thing is there's nowhere to go but up. And right after the new year, I decided that's it. I'm going to do an MMA fight and I'm going to apply the one, one and a half years of Brazilian jiu-jitsu I have. Hopefully I, I go up against a guy that doesn't have a lot of jiu-jitsu and I'm going to set this massive goal for myself and do it. And I did. I dropped over 50 pounds in 13 weeks, did an MMA fight, and won by submission in the first round. And it wow. was just so amazing because all that stuff that happened and all those emotions that happened, the, the two things that really got me there were jujitsu. And I guess I have to give Tony Robbins a lot of credit, but jujitsu was a real backbone for that. And, um, it's just an amazing thing. And I, I didn't mean to get too long winded, but jujitsu is just so incredible and it's so important. And, you know, if you're a parent out there and you have kids and your kids are not in martial arts and you don't know anything about martial arts, you know, that's okay. Um, but if you're hearing this and you're hearing about Brazilian jujitsu for the first time, it's super important to understand that Brazilian jujitsu could be the best thing your kids ever get more than you can give them more than the school system could give them it's it's something that's just it's like a superpower it really is and especially for kids and all the bullies out there and everything else it's just super important no it really is you know and i remember when i'm when i'm talking to people about it you know, they always see UFC as being so violent, but if you look at jujitsu, it's kind of like the gentle art, as they call it, because you can de-escalate a situation and you can incapacitate somebody without hurting them or without damaging them, you know, like a rear naked choke or something like that. And it's, it's so important. It, it teaches so much confidence and it, it teaches where you can be in a defensive position and turn into an offensive position. You know, I know people aren't going to understand that until you actually train in it, but it gives you ultimate confidence. I remember one day my instructor told me, you know, a lot of times your, your air is being cut off and you're being put in very uncomfortable positions. And his whole thing is you're going to learn, Brian, that, you know, if it's not going to break or if you're not going to go out, you don't need to tap. You can be calm under pressure and you slow your mind down and think ahead. You're thinking one step ahead and you don't make those knee-jerk reaction panic decisions. That's what happens in a fight, right? People, they make these crazy knee-jerk panic decisions 
And in jujitsu, you can really calm yourself and really see things from a, a different perspective because you're so talented. You know, you know what's coming and you're setting things up. It's like misdirection, right? If I'm going for your arm, it's really because I'm opening up a shoulder lock or things of that nature. And it's all about position. And it's, I mean, there's so much to it, right? We could, the whole, this is a whole episode in and of itself, but no, I'm a firm believer in jujitsu. It helped me. And it's the best form of self-defense possible. I'm, I'm firmly believe that I had a guy tell me years ago who I was working with, he was a big karate guy. He loved UFC too. And he was in karate. He said, Brian, you know, I could throw a kick at you. I said, you throw a kick at me, I will double leg you so fast. I'll put you in your back out of your comfort zone. And then I'm going to tie you up into a <laughs> knot, right? And I firmly believe that, you know, and I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. So, um, no, I'm a firm believer and I think it's the best. I mean, it's what the UFC was built off of is the best discipline to have as a starting point. And uh, it definitely will make you a better person. And it'll give you that confidence. To me, it gave me that confidence. So big believer in it. Absolutely. And, and, I'll, and I'll stop with that now because I'm sure you probably want to talk about other things. And I'm going to turn this into a three-hour jujitsu podcast. So I'll, <laughs> I'll get off that and allow you to continue with the, the podcast. Sir. Well, no, it's just great because you know, it's hard. Sometimes you, you don't find people that uh, talk your language or speak your language. So it's great to finally have somebody on who understands it. And I'll, I'll end with this and the subject. The analogy I used last week was you know, that we had this person that was really struggling with his, his instinct was to do something and it was not the right move. Right. And he kept doing it over and over again. Cause it was a, you know, old habits die hard. So I, I told him, I said, when I first got into jujitsu, when I was training, and I was sparring, my body naturally moved a certain direction. Right. And it was just natural for me to do it. And when I would move in that direction, a guy would slap an armbar on me and submit me, you know, and okay. And then we do it again. I do the same exact moves I'm used to doing and I get armbarred again. Next time I do it, right as I'm making that move, I thought to myself, crap, I shouldn't have done that. And I'm getting armbarred. The next time I move the other direction, you know? So, you know, the whole point is, obviously we have to spar. We have to make those real world decisions and adapt real time. And it will come with practice. But, uh, you know, I thought that was a great analogy. Hopefully it, it, uh, it resonated, right? But uh, would love- Absolutely. Brent, for you to talk. Talk to me about the book, Roger Up. It's an awesome book. Maybe, you know, what- motivated you to write it maybe some of the learnings you had some of the reaction to it would love to hear about the book yeah i mean at the end of the day roger up is something that most people have had to do and it's something i had to do roger up for those of you that don't know is, a, is an army term most of you have probably heard most of your listening audience has probably heard the term roger that or copy that which essentially confirms a transmission uh, in the army we have the term roger up and that basically means when everything seems like it's about over. You're smoked physically. You're smoked mental, mentally. You have nothing left. The beauty is you actually mentally and physically have at least 20 to 30% left. And when you're able to one, recognize that and two, tap into those reserves that are there, that's that Roger up mantra that we embrace. And even though I, you know, got into martial arts young, I was very competitive soccer growing up and I started wrestling in fifth grade. I still wasn't prepared for really what embracing the suck is. And that would be the civilian term, embrace the suck, man up, woman up. And I'd been through adversity in sports, but once I got to the military and then I, I got to my first combat unit, I, I quickly realized that there are levels, just like in jujitsu, there are levels, there are black belts and there are world champion black belts. And there are some real, real high speed, high level performers in the military. And I was lucky enough at a very young age to, to get around and be around them. 
And when you're around people like that, you know, I talk about circle of influence all the time. I was on a podcast last week and someone said out of everything in your book, I feel like I could turn to any page and, and learn something new or, or realize something. If there's one thing, one message from the book you would give to someone, what would it be? And it's a hard question to answer. And right away I said, it would be your circle of influence. Who are you surrounding yourself with? You know, who are the five people you spend the most time with? Because the, the, the crazy, honest news is you're the average of them. If you're hanging around five alcoholics, it's only a matter of time to your number six. But if you're hanging around five people that are winners and more importantly, want you to be a winner, they're not the proverbial crab in the bucket. Every time you start getting some success, every time your little pretty girl wants to come talk to you, all of a sudden they're hating and, and, and they're trying to drag you down. When you're around people that want you to succeed, and, and I tell people all the time, the two biggest things with circle of influence are get around people that have what you want and get around people that are doing what you want to do at a high level. I wanted to be a professional speaker. Two years ago, I reached out and struck up a friendship with Jason Redman, who wrote the foreword to my book. He spent 21 years in the SEAL teams. He's a, an amazing guy. Uh, he got all shot up. He's had over 40 surgeries. New York Times bestselling author, one of the best people I know. And I said, literally, we're both military guys. You're Navy, I'm Army. I, I want you to mentor me. I want to know uh, how I can most efficiently and effectively uh, become a speaker. And it turns out that they have a speaker bureau called Eagle Rise Speaker Bureaus. And I've been able to meet so many other authors and so many other speakers in that. And it's just opened up this network. And when you get around people, you get around one person like that, then you're introduced to three or more, four or more people like that. And it just like branches on a tree. It just grows. And all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, a year ago, I didn't have much direction. And now I am around all these winners. And when you're around people like this, people that are so busy, it takes a day or two to call you back. You have two choices. You can level up and, and get on their level, or you can just fall to the wayside and be forgotten because they don't have time for people that aren't at their level. And once I started doing that, everything changed, Brian. That's so awesome. I love to hear that. You went out, you wanted something and you made it happen. You found a mentor. And that's my whole thing. You know, I have people in my life that, you know, they always try to impress everybody or keep up with the Joneses. And, you know, my advice, I mean, I built my career off just shutting my mouth and listening, you know, getting with the, per the smartest person in the room, the, the best and surrounding yourself with the best because they make you better. And I think it could be an ego thing that's stopping people from doing that. I'm not sure what that is, but they always say if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room right? Especially like in jujitsu yeah. or anything else, you want those people to elevate you, make you better. So I love in the book that you talk about a samurai mindset. And, you know, I know you have like a bulletproof morning routine that can help foster it. Maybe talk a little bit about what that is, a samurai mindset, and maybe a first step into achieving it. Yeah. So that mindset is, and, and the blueprint, the 0530 blueprint, which is the morning routine, um, they're, they're two separate things, but they certainly intertwine. So very quickly, the morning routine, and we've all, there's a million morning routines out there, and, and most of them, quite honestly, are nonsense because I've researched them, I've tried a lot of them. I mean, there's morning routines right now. If you went to Google and typed in morning routine, just on the first page of Google, you're going to find at least one or two that have you taken an hour milk bath, two hours of journaling, two hours of meditating, and by the time you're done with this flipping routine, it's already three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> My whole thing is being effective. When I went to the Army, the first nine weeks I was in the Army was basic training. 
every single morning, we would scream like crazy people at the top of our lungs. We get more done before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. We would scream that 20 to 30 times every single morning. And it builds, like it's just repetition. It builds in your mind. And, there, and the harsh reality is, is we did get more done. I was, there were days where I was tired by 9 a.m. because we had been going 100 miles an hour as hard as you can go for three or four hours. And, you know, the name of the, the chapter is the 0530 blueprint. That doesn't mean you have to get up at 0530. It means whatever time you're getting up in the morning, number one is get up the same time every single day. Make it like war, make it non-negotiable. That is your wake up time. Whether you went out drinking the night before till 3 a.m. or you got to bed at 930. It doesn't matter. It does not change. You get up at the same time. Your cycle will catch up. So the first three things I do, and I'll just say the first three because these first three things, and there's plenty of other stuff in the blueprint, but these first three things, I promise you, if you're not doing them, they will absolutely change your life. They will change your day. They will change the people around your life. I wake up, and the first thing I do before I even get out of bed is smile. I smile for 15 to 20 seconds like I just won the flipping lottery, like I just fell in love again. And I picked up on this a few years ago, and it changes everything. You could have had the shittiest night's sleep, the worst day before, your chick dumped you, your husband left you, whatever. You wake up and smile. It changes your psychology, and it changes your physiology. And for some reason, all of a sudden, your body's like, well, hey. You might not have got a great night's sleep and yesterday might have sucked, but we're smiling. So something good must be happening. Get out of bed. Next thing I do right when I get out of bed is I make the flipping bed. Making the bed is so important. Yes, it's, it's a thing I picked up in the army and they were crazy about it. And at the time, I didn't know why some just psychotic drill sergeant was screaming at me that he couldn't bounce a dime off of my bed because it wasn't tight enough. But I realized now, and I realized all these years later, that it was that task completion. Every single thing we did had a purpose, and it was one task completion after another. And by the time 9 a.m. rolls around, I have so many more task completions than 90-plus percent of my competition, and it's because I'm doing this routine. So I wake up and I smile, I make the bed, and then I drink 16 ounces of room temperature water to rehydrate my body that hasn't had any water for six, eight, nine hours. And if you just try that to all your listeners, just try that tomorrow. Like when I go out and speak, whether it's to a crowd of 50 people or 600 people, I'll ask, when's the last time? And everyone, please be honest. When's the last time you woke up and just smiled? Usually, no hands go up. And it's one of the easiest things to do. It's something as human beings, most of us don't do enough. And it's contagious. You think COVID-19 is contagious? Try smiling. It spreads like wildfire. And if you start your day like that, you're already ahead of so much of your competition. It's scary. That is amazing. I love that. I'm going to start doing that, by the way. Now, Brant, you know, we, we always look at the military as such a great institution for creating leaders, right? It really does. It, it takes people and it makes great leaders out of them. Do you think that the leadership from the military coming out of the military, does that translate well to business? It, it's a good question. It, I think it does, depending. So for me, example, I wanted to do 20 years, but I didn't. I got injured and I got out right around four years. So I was never in, I was a junior enlisted guy. I never got to a leadership position. Now, granted, there was a small period of time where I was an assistant squad leader for maybe a month. 
And that was just because someone got hurt or something happened. But I was never in a true, honest-to-God leadership position. So, and then conversely, you look at a guy like who I mentioned earlier, Jason Redmond. He spent 10 years as an enlisted guy. Then he spent 11 years as an officer. And we call those Mustangs if they've been both enlisted and an officer. A guy like that comes out with tremendous leadership ability. But one thing as far as leadership goes that the military gives you, even for the guy like me that just did, you know, right around four years, it teaches you self-leadership. And at the end of the day, it's taught from the ground level up in the military. You have to lead yourself first. And at the end of the day, there, you know, it's another thing we always talk about. There's no bad teams. There's just bad leaders. And I've seen both. I've had amazing leaders like a, a great friend of mine. His nickname is Scully. His call sign Scully. He just retired after 32 years in the Army. He was my first squad leader. He contributed to the book and wrote some really great stuff on leadership. A guy like that, there's a tremendous amount to learn from. So you get to see, you get a, a lot of different looks. Like in jiu-jitsu, it's, it's bad to just roll with the same people every time you go train. You should have a goal to roll with as many people every week or every class as possible. And if you're a traveler and someone who's bouncing all over the country or all over the globe, you should make it a point in jiu-jitsu to try and roll with as many different people as possible, different sizes, everything, different belt levels. And in the military, it was the same thing. You, you get a good idea for who's doing the right things and who are the good leaders. And immediately, I was like a magnet. I would, I would lock onto them and take those lessons with me. But I think the biggest thing for me and a lot of guys and gals that get out after four, six, maybe even eight years it's that self-leadership that's constantly ingrained with you that you're, most of us are able to carry with us. No, absolutely. Fight or flight. Do you think it's in our DNA or is it a choice? You know, can we change that? Like let's say your, your instinct is to run away from a fight. Can we change our mindset and, and change course? Absolutely. And I think people, when they, if they don't know me or meet me or talk to me, if they just read my bio, it's this Roger Up book. He's this army guy. He's this jujitsu guy. Uh, so if they just read that, they would probably think my first reaction in that type of scenario would be to fight. And, you know, I'm, I'm the first one to say, I have no problem running away from a fight. And, and most people that just see me from the exterior would say, oh, well, that doesn't, that doesn't like maybe make sense. But at the end of the day, I got nothing to prove. I'm 44 years old. I have a beautiful wife. I have an amazing stepdaughter, Emma, who's nine. I'm not trying to get my teeth knocked out. And more importantly, I'm not trying to get injured to the point where I can't protect my family. So if I can run, even with a bad back, I promise you, I am running from a fight. It's, it's knowing when to fight. And, and again, I know we're, we keep looping here, Brian, but looping back to jujitsu, something that's so important that most people that have never done or taken time to learn about martial arts don't realize is the more you actually know how to fight, the more you actually confidently know how to defend yourself, the less likely you are to ever get into a fight or a physical altercation. It's true. But if that fight happens, if that physical confrontation happens, I am fully prepared to put my life on the line because I believe in my jujitsu. I believe in my fighting spirit and I believe in my willingness to protect my family or myself at any cost. And it's a really important thing. So 
I'm down to fight. I'm down for flight. But if it came down to one or the other, I would certainly like to run rather than have to throw punches. <laughs> there you go. I love that. I love it. Now, you mentioned that you've mastered the 30-second elevator pitch, and you can teach others to do it as well. Why don't you tell the audience about this and why it's so important? Yeah, so the 30-second elevator, elevator pitch, really, and you're a business guy, so you know this, but you know, I put this in the book because at the end of the day, there was a big part of me that wrote this book for the 18 or 19 year old knucklehead version of me. I'm not suggesting every 18 or 19 year old in your listening audience is a knucklehead, but I'm sure a lot of them at one time or another have subscribed to the knucklehead mantra. The 30 second elevator pitch is roughly estimated on the amount of time it gets to get in an elevator, go up to the top floor. And in that time is basically what you have to do to explain yourself, to sell yourself. Uh, think of it as your, uh, your 30 second movie trailer, you know, how, and, and, and having a plan for that, you know, is just so important. You know, Joe Rowan talks about having a movie trailer, being the star of your own movie. And I think so many people, especially a lot of younger folks that haven't been turned on to this, they'll walk into a job interview or even like, and I'll, and I'll speak from a male perspective, Brian, even meeting girls, even meeting a woman, like there is a whole science behind, and I dive a little bit into that in the book, there's a whole science behind approaching a woman and being confident, but not cocky, smiling, but not smiling too much, knowing what to say, grabbing her attention, not asking her what her sign is or what her major is, because she, she's at a bar university, she's already heard that from the first 200 idiots to try to get her phone number. <laughs> It's, it's having a plan, just like the morning routine, just like anything else. It's having a map, a massive action plan, having a battle plan, knowing, okay, this is what I'm going to say. Hi, my name is Brent Magnuson. I'm the author of the best-selling book, Roger Up. I'm a professional speaker. You can check me out on YouTube. I just did an amazing podcast with Brian Olson. Bah, 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 bah. Here's why I'm sexy to the marketplace. Here's how I can benefit your company. Here's why it would be a good thing to get into business with me. Whatever the pitch is. It's getting your points across very clearly. And by the time that 30 seconds is up, that guy or gal you just got done talking to, they don't need a business card. They know everything they need to know about you because you've just given them the best 30-second movie trailer on the movie that is you. And I think if more people were prepared with this, if more people focused on that, you know, having a firm handshake, having a good smile, having good posture, being prepared, you know, all these different things that, that come into, I guess, the business world, but also the dating world and everything else. So it could mean the difference between a six-figure job and not getting it. It could be the difference between meeting your eventual wife or husband and not meeting them. And it's just so important knowing what to say. No, it really is. I mean, look at yourself. You pitched yourself to your mentor. He took you under his wing and you know, so many doors opened because of it. So no, the, the, the proof is in the pudding right there. Now, Brent, just a couple of quick questions before we wrap up here. I'd love for you to tell the audience about the Resilient Warrior Foundation, the reason you got involved. Absolutely. Thanks for asking, man. It's one of the things that I'm most passionate about. So my, my really good friend, Matt Davidson, started this. He's also a veteran and he's also a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu purple belt. So he speaks both military and Jiu-Jitsu. Those are two separate languages. It's nice to speak both. Uh, obviously, I'm uh, you know fluent in both languages. So the Resilient Warrior Foundation, we're a 501c3 uh, organization, and we serve U.S. veterans and first responders who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. 
that they acquired during their service to this absolutely kick-ass country. And what we do is we provide scholarships to them. So essentially we pay for their Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu monthly um, bill, if you will, to any Jiu-Jitsu academy of their choice in the United States. Um, and right now there are already scientific studies underway that are examining Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a complementary treatment to some of the more conventional type therapies. And at the end of the day, it tremendously helps improve recovery for people living with Jiu-Jitsu. I mean, one of the biggest things in the military is you are constantly learning how to process and how to deal with hard situations. You're constantly learning stress management. I mean, that's really what, the, especially if you're attached to a combat unit, I mean, you are, you are getting the best stress management class that could probably be offered on planet Earth. And when you get out of the military, you don't have that anymore. And the longer you're out, if you're not active in some of the same type of activities, those skills diminish. And what jujitsu, like you and I have discussed, does is it teaches you how to manage. It retrains your brain how to get out of those stressful situations and manage them, how to manage anxiety. If you're a 150-pound guy and you've got a 220-pound gorilla on top of you and there's sweat dripping off his forehead into your eyes, he's trying to strangle you, you've only got a minute 30 left till the bell rings, and you're surviving. If you get through that, when you leave that gym, you didn't just survive that gorilla, if you will, on top of you. You just managed stress more than most of the people on the planet in that hour did. You just learned and relearned how to deal with that anxiety. And that carries over into every aspect of your life, Brian. I mean, it carries over into your family, into your work, into everything you do. And that confidence doesn't go away. That confidence breeds more confidence. And that's what these guys and gals need. And that's why it's so important that we're doing this. And I just could not be more honored to be sitting on the board. And for any of your listeners that are interested in donating to this amazing organization and helping out, uh, we have t-shirts and all kinds of swag. You can check out resilientwarriorfoundation.org. And for any of you first responders, or veterans out there that suffer from PTSD that you acquired in your service to this amazing country, please contact us. We would love to talk to you and hopefully help. I love that, Brent. Fantastic. Now, you know, I recently read a recommendation of the book and it was great. I mean, and I'll, I'll paraphrase here. This has become an adapt or die economy in a world of massive uncertainty. Nothing is more important than who you choose to listen to. It'll determine your future more than anything else. Brent delivers a battle-ready blueprint for thriving in the face of adversity and backs it up with a proven action plan to get into real action. And I love this because, you know, you're obviously the real deal and there's so many fakes out there, you know, guiding people down the wrong path for a quick money grab. If you could say some of these scumbags are doing that, what would it be? <laughs> I don't know. I'm doing my best not to drop a lot of F-bombs on these podcasts, but, uh, you know what, man, I, to those guys and gals out there that are doing that and faking it and all that, I would say, you know what, keep doing what you're doing. I mean, it's going to catch up to you because at the end of the day, people recognize realness. And, you know, I, being a 44-year-old guy, I like the fact that I'm a little more seasoned and we're developing a coaching program right now. And hopefully we're able to launch the Roger Up Academy sometime in early 2021. And with that, 
I'm proud of what I bring to the table. You can, you can check out my, my military records and you can see where I deployed. You can see who I rolled with and what I did. You can look at my jujitsu credentials. You can look at my old company. You can look at some of the things I'm doing and, and the success of the book and, and the people I'm surrounding myself with. And I think that's important. You know, we live in a world right now where a 19 year old kid can borrow 10 grand from their parents, take a picture of it in front of some other guy's Lamborghini, put it up on, <laughs> on Instagram and say, Hey, sign up for $99 or $999 and I'll teach you how to get rich. And that kid hasn't left mom and dad's basement. So it is what it is, man. I try not to worry about knuckleheads like that. I'm talking to people like you. I'm hanging around guys like Jason Redmond. I'm married to a high producer, uh, to a fantastic business owner. So I, I, I'm just, I'm more obsessed with who I'm around. And, and this is something I tell people all the time. Stop worrying about the shit you can't control. Your vote's important, but you can't control who's in the White House. You can't control who's wearing a mask. You can't control what's going on with Kim and Chloe. And if Kanye is running or he's not, you can control what time you get up in the morning. You can control who you surround yourself with. You can control the books you read and the content you can consume. So start worrying about that and stop worrying about all this other nonsense out there that you have no control of that doesn't put food on the table for you and your family. I love it. I couldn't have said it better myself. Now, Brent, it's been fantastic. Any last thoughts, words of wisdom you'd like to share with the audience before we wrap up? I don't know, Brian. You got my blood pressure going. I'm over here yelling like Mussolini from the balcony. And I fired you up, man. That's what... <laughs> fired up, brother. Fired up. Well, I will say, Brent, I love the fact that you're a cook. You know, back in the day, I used to watch these Robert Rodriguez movies, and at the end of the movie, he would have these mini cooking classes, and he would talk to men and say, you need to have at least three signature dishes that you're known for that you practice over and over again. You have people over and you serve it to them because not knowing how to cook is like not knowing how to, well, I'll let you fill in the blank. Absolutely. Cooking is a, you know, I talk about it all the time, man. Skills are weapons. Can you cook, especially as a guy? That's a weapon. Can you speak more than one language? That's a weapon. Are you good with money? That's a weapon. Do you have goals that you're constantly setting? That's a weapon. I mean, the, the more weapons you have, the more prepared you are for the battlefield of life, if you will. And cooking is a huge one, not to mention it's fun. And um, yeah, I like the idea of knowing that I can fend for myself and I can cook. I like the idea of knowing that my wife and my stepdaughter enjoy my food. My dad's a big cook. My uncle was an amazing chef. Like, it's just, uh, there's really no better way to express how you feel than through your food. And, and when I spend half a day making, you know, meatballs and sauce and all this stuff and, and people come over and we're able to enjoy that together and enjoy some homemade wine that took months and months to become amazing. It's a real special feeling. And, uh, you know, I'm not a super religious guy, but from the last supper up until now, some of the biggest decisions and the biggest moments in life have happened over breaking bread and and, uh, and having a glass of wine. And it's, uh, I couldn't agree more, man. It's super, super important. And it's a great skill to add to your elevator pitch when talking to women, right? Let me tell you something, guys. If you're single, if you're in your 20s or your 30s and you can't cook, I got news for you. You could be completely squared away. You're fit. Your bank account's in the positive. You got a nice car. Your bills are paid. Life is good. You're a decent person. If you can't cook, 
and the next guy coming up to that girl after you can and everything else is the same you go home alone and he goes home with her every little thing counts and being able to cook just like knowing another language you don't have to be fluent just be conversational knowing how to cook could be the difference between meeting an eight or marrying a ten so there you go. Yeah, life's a game of inches, right? No pun intended. Well, <laughs> Brent, it's been fantastic. One very last question before we wrap up here. It's just a personal question to get you to know you a little bit better. You're going to be on an island yeah. for the rest of your life, okay? You can only bring one book, one movie, and one album. What would they be? One book, one movie, and one album? Yes, sir. Wow, that's an awesome uh... – that's an awesome question. I'm going to bring um, The Sun Also Rises by Hemingway, my favorite book. I'm going to bring the movie I'm going to bring is going to be Gladiator. Uh, I probably should bring that movie with uh, Castaway by Tom Hanks, but uh, <laughs> that would probably just depress me. And if I didn't have a volleyball, it'd be even worse. That's right. Yeah, so I'll take uh, The Sun Also Rises by Hemingway. I'll take Gladiator with Russell Crowe and the uh, CD or whatever uh, disc I'll take would be uh, I'm gonna take some Stevie Ray Vaughan with me and I'm nice. Gonna, I'm gonna be all right. What about you, man? I'm curious. Man, you know it depends on the day. I'd probably take ACDC Live. You know that double live album. That's probably the I lost so much weight to that album. I'm getting that elliptical and just grind it out. If it wasn't for that, I'd be you know I wouldn't make it. Movie, I don't know. You know, Gladiator's a good one. Maybe Back to the Future. That's always a good one. And a book, 12 Ordinary Men by uh, John MacArthur, most likely. It's awesome. a great book. Yeah. Very cool. I'm a big ACDC fan, too. That, that MMA fight in 2010 I did, I was a huge Arturo Gotti fan. And uh, may he rest in peace. And yeah. he always walked out to Thunder by ACDC. Oh, yeah. And by and the way, ACDC, the brand new album, drops this Friday, I believe. So It perfect. does. Yeah, it's crazy. They're still, uh, <laughs> those guys are still going. But, yeah, I walked out to that. And uh, it was uh, it was awesome, man. Brent, it's been great. How do people get in touch, connect with you, buy the book? How do they connect? Absolutely. If you're interested in the book, I encourage you to go to Amazon. Roger Up is the title. You can get the uh, paperback or the digital copy of the ebook. Uh, if you want to hit me up on Facebook, it's Brent Magnuson. And uh, of course, if you, your organization, or anyone you know is interested in hiring me to speak. You can get in touch with me at Eagle Rise Speaker Bureau, and they will uh, handle the whole process, super professional, ask for Erica, and they will, uh, they will get you squared away, get me out there. We might not be able to shake hands, but I'm going to bring the fire, bring some books, and we're going to have a good time. Yeah, just don't break their arm, right? <laughs> I'll try not to, sir. <laughs> Brent, it's been an honor. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for your service to the country. Thank you for what you're doing through the foundation. The book is phenomenal. Keep up the good work, and let's stay connected. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brian. I appreciate the opportunity. Anytime. Thank you for spending time with us today. We encourage you to join the many businesses that we have helped to achieve their objectives, align their departments, and increase their revenue. You can start by reaching out to us at results at onebrokencog.com. Together, we will make small adjustments that will lead to major impacts to your business, your culture, and your bottom line. 